This episode is being sponsored by Test Equity. So listen, if you want to do serious circuit board soldering, you want precise control over how much heat you use and where that heat goes. That means you need a soldering station like the Metcal GT120. Why? Because it heats your soldering tip to the right temperature quickly, it holds that temperature exactly, and it quickly recovers to that temperature after transferring heat into your workpiece. Oh, you want one? Well, you're in luck because Technitool is giving away a Metcal GT120 and it's signed by Mythbusters alum Tori Belici. Right. So if you want one, go check out Tori's GT120 unboxing video first and then enter to win. You can enter at www.techni-tool.com slash Metcal hyphen giveaway. And I'll put that all on the screen for you because there's no way you're going to remember to type that all in. And we're going to put a link in there because you want easy access to win that Metcal, don't you? So get going. All right, guys, I'm Nicolette. And today, Brian and I are here with Mark Culpepper. He is the general manager of Solar Solutions over at DroneBase. And he's here to talk to us not only about Solar Solutions or drones, but both of them. So we are uh, we are in for some fun today. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. This should be fun. So before Brian takes over this conversation with drones, uh, tons of drone questions, <laughs> I, I saw recently, uh, you know, in the midst of Hurricane Ida, that drone base was doing some work uh, during the hurricane. And, and I was wondering if you could just kick us off and tell us a little bit about what, what was going on there. Well, anytime there's a natural disaster or a um, an issue at scale, right? Where you've got a lot of problems happening over a broad area and um, document or record information that people need. Well, that can be first responders, that can be insurance companies, utilities, you name it, right? Uh, so one of the things that Drone Brains brings to the table, we have a large network of UAV operators. And sometimes, Band aircraft are adequate for um, kind of a broad view, uh, but you really have to bring the right tool to the table for the right level of detail. And, you know, for manned aircraft, they do a really good job of filling the gap kind of in between satellite data, which is two coarse, and drone data, which can be very fine result. Um, manned aircraft can do a good job of providing good contextual data per se, if you really want to find out what's going on a specific location, there's really no better solution than, than a drone. You know, um, well, I like to say low and slow uh, beats high and fast almost every time um, for very specific uh, detailed information. So um, our operators work with insurance companies and others um, to basically get them the data they need when they need it in a really timely fashion. So now what's interesting about Ida, right? So besides insurance companies, now you guys also deal with power. Were you guys using um, drones to see where, like, you know, I, like I read, I think I saw somewhere there were, I don't even know, 300,000 poles down or something crazy like that. I can't remember the number. Yeah. Were, were, were yeah. you doing stuff with like uh, any of the utilities also? With the drones during Ida? Um, not, not to my knowledge. I don't think we've done anything with utilities yet for down poles. Um, mostly the work that we're doing right now with insurance, insurance claims. 
I will say certainly you you can use drones for uh, utility inspections, and a lot of companies are doing that now. Um, yeah, I don't think we have any active missions right now with IDA for utilities bull inspections that I'm aware of. Um, but quite a bit of work going on on the, on the insurance claims, as you might imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, so you also mentioned energy, right? And I know we were talking a little bit before and, you know, energy and inspection of energy. And a lot of people believe like drones are the way to do it if you're using. So how else how else is it being done? You mentioned there were other ways that it was being done. Well, I think, um, you know, just my own background. um, So I I worked in the solar sector for many years at a company called Sun Edison, and I ran global operations (laughs) and was their chief technology officer. Um, And part of that experience, when you're running a big network of distributed systems, um, Mm -hmm. trying to get good data is always part of the challenge. Um, Certainly you have the SCADA data that comes off from your, your traditional data telemetry, and that's good, but, you know, I can tell you um, operation centers are typically overwhelmed with information. They have a lot of data coming into them, and what they need is context, right? And um, so we started a company in 2016 called Precision XYZ, and we were focused exclusively on the solar sector using drones to help kind of throughout the value chain, all the way from early stage development through construction all the way into asset management, doing thermal inspections on assets that had some problems. Um, And what we found during that process, as we got into it deeper, um, what we found was that drones are really good for on-demand inspections. Uh, They're really good for spot inspections. Uh Um, And they're not as good for annual health inspections. So what an annual health check is, basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. You overfly a site, you assess the site, and you identify defects um, or anomalies at the site. And then you roll those up into a report. You hand that report over to one of several parties. The challenge with drones and with the industry in general is that you need a solution that can really, really scale, right? There's about 3 million solar plants in the United States right now. Um, They deliver around 100 gigawatts of power um, as of this year. Uh, That's a lot of power. That's kind of like, think of that almost as 100 nuclear reactors, right? Um, so So it's a lot of power. But what's interesting is that about 70% of that power is delivered from about 6,000 of those 3 million power plants. So it's really concentrated in these big power plants, right? And that trend's not going to go away. Um, there's a, a strong impetus in the financial sector to really drive to scale um, because the cost of building out, say, a 200 or a 400 megawatt power plant, um, in terms of your fixed costs, are comparable to doing like a 10 megawatt power plant. So there's a lot of incentive to basically drive toward these big um, deployments. Uh, from the standpoint of aerial data, though, uh, drones aren't really the ideal solution to do, you know, half a gigawatt of power. What you really need and what we found out having done this for four years is we came to the conclusion that, you know what, we need manned aircraft. We need kind of the, the, the Ford Ranger of the sky, which is really a, a Cessna, right, mm-hmm. um, with higher resolution equipment on it. Um, the ability to cover massive amounts of area on a daily basis, uh, 
um, and really, um, really effectively scale up data collection and processing um, so that you can collect a lot of information on these plants. Because if you think about that concentration, right, the 6,000 or so power plants, you know, manned aircraft, you know, with the right fleet, you could cover that entire um, – oops, just lost a headphone there, guys, sorry. You could, okay. you could cover that entire uh, uh, deployment in the space of probably 60 days, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this year alone, we'll, we'll cover about 60,000 nautical miles with our manned aircraft, um, you know, so we're really trying to say to say to the industry, you need to operate at scale. This mm-hmm. has to be easy for the industry to consume, uh, and you can't get lost into the weeds of of getting trying to get a guy in a van out there with a drone. You know, now there is a role for the drone operator for sure. You know, um, specifically for the field technicians, the field engineers, when they need to go out there and really assess something, they want something that they can use as a tool, just as you would use a power drill or anything else. Um, so when they get that annual health check and they look at it, they want to be able to take their drone and say, OK, this is where I need to check. Um, let's see if there's been anything that has happened in the last 30 days since the health check came done and be able to fly the drone up compare those two and then take action from there. So these two technologies are really complementary to each other. Um, and you really have got to look at them as, as technologies that allow the industry to operate the scale that it needs through a, through a really simple single source solution. Do you, do you find that, or are you, I guess, here's my question. Are you guys using a lot of AI to help? Cause you mentioned there's a lot of data, right? Is So is there yeah. some AI being used to help sort through the data for what's important and what's not? Because, you know, obviously there are things that are, you know, maybe not yeah. really relative to what yeah. someone's looking for. But my second part to that question is also, does the manned aircrafts actually cut some of that because there are human beings maybe collecting data or putting some context to the data when they're collecting it with manned aircraft? Well, I th- those are great questions. I think that the, um, the short answer is yes, you absolutely have to use AI and machine learning to handle the amount of data that's coming at you, right? And particularly for the solar sector, because if you think about this sector, um, the need for inspection is, is highly concentrated in specific time periods of the year. So, for example, um, the peak earnout period for solar in North America is is the summertime, you know, kind of uh, late spring through the summer and early fall. Uh, that's when those power plants literally make the most money during the course of the year. So you want to have your inspections done more or less within about a two month period at the start of that entire process. Um, so you can imagine all those plants basically have to be compressed, and all that data has to be compressed, processed, and delivered, literally like pretty much like that, you know, in, right. in a fairly Any time for them period. to repair anything. Right. Also. Correct. Too. Correct. So what we've done is what we, and one of the things that are, um, that you can do with manned aircraft, which is, um, really, you can't really do it with a drone right now is do real edge computing, right. Where you can basically put a lot of processing capacity on the aircraft itself, um, process the data you collect as you collect it. So by the time that plane lands, it's already uploading data into the cloud that's pretty much complete. You're still going through quality checks, but a lot of the um, AI, a lot of the um, 
uh, photogrammetry processing. In fact, all the photogrammetry processing is happening on the plane, you know, during the flights. And by the time they land, it's really just going up for quality check um, and final sign off before the reports get delivered. But you could not do this. You could certainly do it um, in a limited fashion with manned aircraft without AI. Um, but it's going to be, you're never going to be able to plow through the amount of data that you really want to plow through um, for an industry that's challenged as it's growing and as the needs for solar continue to expand, not only in the U.S., but globally. Mm-hmm. So so, so with, with the manned aircraft, right, in comparison to the drones, what to cover, like, say, the same area, right? You mentioned a, yeah. a manned aircraft could cover, like, a lot more distance. How many drones, like, I don't know, and you can give the example, yeah. but how many, like, yeah. how much... How many drones would you need to cover the same distance as like yeah. a manned aircraft? Well, to put it in context, um, you know, we can do a half a gigawatt a day per manned aircraft for large okay. concentrated power plants, big industrial power plants um, to do that same amount of area. To, so a half a gigawatt is probably you, you kind of have to think about the math. In general, every megawatt is around five acres, mm-hmm. right? So when you get to 1,000 megawatts, that's a gigawatt, you're talking 5,000 acres. Now you have to build in some buffer into that as well because of all the roads and access roads and things like that. So call it six, 7,000 acres. So when you're at a half a gigawatt, you're around three or 4,000 acres. Okay. That is an enormous amount of space. Yes. I mean, it's, it is a large, large area. When you go out to these big power plants, you're literally in a sea of glass. It's easy to get lost just driving around the power plant. It's like a little city, you know, mm-hmm. um, to do that, to do a half a gigawatt with drones, that is probably if you're efficient, it's probably a month's worth of work at least, you know, right. and that assumes that you're getting consistent thermal data. So mm-hmm. what that means is, you know, the sun comes up and goes down obviously, but depending on where the plant's located, you're going to get some cloud coverage that comes in. You're going to have some days that have higher radiance than other days. You know, if you do it with a manned aircraft, that all gets shot at once. So you get consistent thermal data. Right, in, um, in one day. Yeah, in one day. And the quality of the sensors is, frankly, just it's better. It's There's no comparison between the quality of a sensor on a manned aircraft with a drone. doesn't mean the drone's not useful. It is. But okay. you got to put it in context, right? I mean, you got you have a cooling system on a manned aircraft that keeps that thermal sensor cool. There's a lot of other variables there. Right, right. So what about, like, you know, we talked about solar. What about, like, wind turbines, right? So, I mean, you know, yeah. obviously if it's a big wind field, you know, the plane would be, uh, you know, more, obviously more efficient at doing it. But what about, like, the details? Like, if you want to go up to that wind turbine, that's where you well, would that, use a drone yeah. maybe to look at. yeah. That, that is a really good question because there is a big distinction between where you can use manned aircraft and where you can't. And in general, what it boils down to is horizontal infrastructure, you know, big flat fields or great for manned aircraft. Vertical infrastructure, mm-hmm. not so much because you got to get a lot more detail, right? And, mm-hmm. for example, with our system, um, with our uh, wind-based system, um, you have to do that with a drone because what they're literally looking at is they're looking at the blade itself and they want to find defects on the blade before the blade fails. 
right? So that process, what becomes important in that process is do you have the right tech stack? It's really simple, right? If you don't have the right tech stack, you're not going to be able to inspect that blade efficiently. So for our system, when you take a drone to a, a wind turbine, you're literally going to put in the type of wind turbine. So we have a big um, uh, database of, of, um, of wind turbines and kind of what the parameters of the wind turbines are. How long are the blades? How wide are the blades? Right? What's the variance between the center and the tip? You know, all that stuff. And literally what the operator does is go up. He enters in the code for, the, um, for that type of turbine. They fly mm-hmm. the drone up, center it on the nacelle on that on that unit, and then hit go, and it flies an automated pattern and literally captures every single bit of data. So you get all your inspection. You get all your inspection protocols, and they're all standardized, which means right. they're efficient, they're consistent, they're reliable, they're accurate, right, and they're fast because you cannot spend. There's there's some really interesting drone technology out there now that will allow you to literally create a 3D model of one of these systems. Mm-hmm. But that inspection process can take an hour. These guys right. have to roll through literally hundreds of turbines. So, mm-hmm. you know, our, our protocol takes 12 to 15 minutes. It's fast, right? Right. So, And, and you're eliminating, like, operator error, like, uh, you know, some guy going, oh, look, there's a hawk time. over there. Let me go. Let me go. Yeah, down, right? Yeah, yeah because if a, it's... Just the small, the small nuance movements, right? If you're, mm-hmm. if you have to manually do these things, um, you know, these blades are sensitive, and if you crash a drone into them, uh, you may be introducing damage to the wind turbine, Right. Right. At a time when that is absolutely not what the client wants. What the client no, wants no. is something that is simple, reliable, consistent, and accurate. Right. right? Um, so that's kind of our our mantra. And I think uh, you know, if you if you kind of look at our site, you kind of go back to the Staples Easy button. We really mm-hmm. are trying to make this easy for the clients because we recognize as important as this is to us, to mm-hmm. the clients, it's important. But their world does not revolve around it. Our, our right. world revolves around aerial data and accurate and reliable collection of data at scale, right? So that right. concept of a uh, single source, make it reliable, make it consistent, and make it easy for the client, that's a big part of what we do. And the technology stack is, is kind of built around that idea. Here's my question. Let's talk. Let's talk about the. We talked about drones. We talked about unmanned aircraft. Let's talk about energy for a little bit. What what insight yeah. do you have around energy and where that's going? Well, you know, in the context of um, aerial data and just more broadly, kind of what's happening in the energy sector, I think it is really interesting to see the the phase of transition we're in. I mean, quite literally, I live up in, um, in the Sierra mountains up in Truckee and, um, you know, we're literally on fire up here. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is climate change is not a theoretical issue to anybody who lives up here. It's, it's literally become a life and death existential issue. And, um, it's not just here, you know, I mean, look right. at what's going on. It's literally fire and water, you know, all over the country and all over the world right now. Mm-hmm. So this transition to renewables and uh, is critical for everyone. You know, it's not just um, 
you know, obviously for we're interested in it because, you know, let's face it, that's how we make some of our money. But um, there's a lot of people here who are passionate about it because they see it as important, uh, right. important transition. Um, energy transitions are right. never easy. They're always hard. And um, the question is, how do you do it quickly? Well, they I take- think for the, oil, you know, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I mean, so many people have talked about this, uh, and I'm just pulling up notes because I was talking to someone else, and they were saying, like, basically, they believe, like, this shift in energy, you know, going to, you know, yeah. more environmentally friendly energy is really, I think, the, the and I was trying to look for the quote, but it's sort of like the sixth industrial revolution, right? It's basically, yeah. that's the next thing on the horizon, like, shifting into you know, these, these greener energies, such as solar, wind, things like that. Yeah. Like sustainability, you know, um, mm-hmm. is kind of the, the, the keyword there. Right. And, um, how do you build sustainable societies? How do you build sustainable infrastructure? Um, right. you know, we actually know how to do it. You know, uh, like if you look at mm-hmm. what's going on in California right now, uh, California has adopted a lot of renewable energy. They're, they're kind of the leader in it. Um, and just recently they said, you know what, we're going to have to buy some natural gas peaker plants to fill the gaps because energy storage technology has not quite caught up at the scale that, um, wind and solar have, um, Mm -hmm. which is part of the gap. You know, you gotta, you gotta fill the gaps. Now, some of that is regulatory problems. Um, and I think a lot of people, particularly in the energy storage sector, would mm-hmm. argue that, that that is primarily the issue. But, you know, it's not just renewables who are kind of wrestling with this challenge. I mean, if you look at what's going on in oil and gas right now, they are really trying to figure out how do we how do we repurpose our mission um, to solve problems at a larger scale and do it in a way that is going to be sustainable over time. Because I think that the writing is pretty clear on the wall right now that continuing to pump emissions into the atmosphere is not sustainable. Um, so, you know, we've actually worked with with companies um, uh, in the oil and gas sector who are looking at oil fields. I don't know if many of your, your viewers know, but uh, California has a big oil and gas industry. You know, the entire southern half of our Central yes. Valley is is just covered with oil wells. Now, um, historically, a huge industry in California. And a lot of those fields now are essentially being evaluated or in some cases repurposed, actively repurposed um, as solar fields. And I think this is probably a really interesting thing. You look at areas of Texas, right, where there's a ton of of oil fields. Um, You know, solar is kind of a perfect application in those areas where they need to repurpose them, you know. Um, same could be said probably for wind too, although winds as a, as a resource, a little more challenged because you have to have specific areas where, where the wind blows, you know, um, right. Solar has that unique advantage. Yeah. But I I think this entire energy transition right now, Brian is, is a fascinating, uh, problem and Mm -hmm. a really great opportunity for a lot of, um, a lot of wealth creation, honestly. Um, and, you know, one of the things that struck me during the COVID crisis last year, um, you know, I'm at 6,200 feet, somewhere in that range. Um, mm-hmm. So we have pretty clean, beautiful air up here most of the time when the fires aren't burning. Um, and 
when COVID hit and there was a national shutdown, there was a noticeable improvement in the cleanliness of the air up here. Like, and that's for up here, you know, this, this is the place where people go for clean air. Right. Right. Um, And you could noticeably see improvements in air quality. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a preview of some of the good things that we have to look forward to. I mean, we got challenges in front of us for sure. Um, But, you know, really clean, pure air. That's one of the things that we will have to look forward to as um, both as a country and and the world, you know, as we go into this transition. Yeah. Do you know, and you know, what's interesting to me, one of the things I find really interesting and don't get me wrong, people are, you know, they get an electric vehicle, right. But then they're using like Mm -hmm. fossil fuels, to power yeah. the electric vehicle, right? So you're still, in essence, I mean, yes, maybe it's it's a different type of emissions or it's in a different place, but you're still, you know, using, you know, not clean energy to power a clean energy, you know? So if you're going to be, you know, if we're going to yeah. be solely green, right, we, we need to focus on not just like, oh, well, let's have an electric vehicle, but let's just make the energy green to power the electric vehicle, you know? And that's yeah. where you you start, I think you start, it starts rolling into each other where it, it makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. and, you know, you'll see a lot more adaptation, yeah, a lot more adoption of it, you know, both technologies. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if I think about the, the challenge of scale, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that the oil industry has done a, a fantastic job of that nobody can argue with, they know how to scale industry, right? Right. They have, they have built literally a global scalable system for delivering, uh, wellhead to wheel, as they call it, you know, um, all the way from the wellhead oil all the way to to deliver gasoline to your car to the point where it's cheaper than in many cases, or at least it was anyway, uh, cheaper than milk, you know. Now, yeah. as we move into this new transition, you know, we are keenly aware that um, to achieve those same efficiencies, this industry has to automate. I mean, by that, I mean renewables, solar and wind. Mm-hmm. They have to automate. They have to operate at scale and systems like aerial data have to be able to deliver things efficiently and make it easy for people. You know, mm-hmm. if it's, and by people, I mean, big industry operators, asset owners, things like that. Right. Know, they cannot be bothering with a, with a complicated um, system. So our whole mission and purpose is really to make sure we deliver that data to them in a, in a really efficient and scalable way. So here's the thing, you know, we saw the the oil industries, how old, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly, but you could say it's it's 100 Over years 100 old, years. right? Over right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, hopefully, you know, and we've seen solar around for, you know, solar's been around. And electric, I mean, let's face it, electric cars have actually been around for a long time, too, 100 years. I think yeah. the first electric Over car was in, invented in yeah. one Right. One didn't take off. And, and like you said, what really made the oil and gas industry is they're being able to make it a global industry. You know, how far out are we really f- from doing that with these cleaner energies? Would you yeah. guess? Yeah. Well, if, if you look at kind of the adoption rate of solar, I don't think any energy technology has actually been adopted faster with the exception of probably fire. Um, right um i mean seriously it's uh right now it's growing around 20 percent per annum right um 
which is fast, I think, you know, to achieve the, uh, the uh, objectives from the uh, uh, Paris Climate Accords, obviously, we need to scale that up. And then the world mm-hmm. needs to scale that up. I think there are really a couple of, of um, poles in the tent that are more challenging than others. You know, the um, broad and massive adoption of storage technologies um, is absolutely critical for this to work, right? It's not so much a tra- challenge anymore on, on generation. So you can almost think of it, think of it uh, like this, Brian, like if you look at what happened in the 90s um, with the internet, what the internet did was it took fundamentally a really dumb telecommunications network and it turned it into a really smart telecommunications network. Right. And one of the ways it did that was through decreases in the price of data storage and mm-hmm. um, decreases in the price of transmission, Right. Mm-hmm. And essentially what's happening right now with energy is kind of the same thing. Um, so um, the cost of generation has plummeted. There is no cheaper source of generating power right now on the planet than solar. That's right. a fact. Um, even without incentives, right? Um, mm-hmm. The challenge right now is how do we ramp up storage fast enough mm-hmm. to accommodate this change that we have to go through? Right. It's right. not one of those things where it's like, hmm, I wonder if we'll do that. It's like, no, this is a mandatory transition. Fortunately, the economics are very favorable. You can almost think of of solar right now as a um, think of it as a, a oil well with an increasing yield over time. Because if you look at a solar plant that we built like in 2008, where we could get maybe 10 megawatts on a site, that same site today could accommodate easily 15 megawatts. Same footprint, mm-hmm. just more power. That trend's going to continue over time, right? So those things are all positive and, and, and um, great things about what we're doing with solar. So I think to your, to your question, how do you scale up that? You know, well, the first thing is you got to automate, you know, you have to. Um, if you think about um, the cost of building a solar plant, um, the cost of building a solar plant is shifting more and more away from the materials piece and more toward the labor piece. Right. Right. Because material costs have been declining consistently year over year over year. And the industry has done a phenomenal job at grinding costs out of its um, systems. Um, the labor costs are still, as a material point, they're, they're actually rising relative to the overall cost of the power plant. So that means that you have to automate. You have to. It's not even like one of those things where you go, eh, well, maybe we'll use drones, maybe we won't. You know, it's like right. everybody's going to be using drones. Like, and, and even now, even in the early stage of development and construction, uh, mm-hmm. drones are really critical, right? Drones and aerial data are critical. Um, you can just do things faster and more efficiently I'll give you another example. When you go out to survey one of these large power plants, we surveyed one of the one of the largest power plants um, in North America called Gemini, and it's east of, of Las Vegas. Um, that was about 12,000 acres that we surveyed, and we did that with drones. Um, <clears throat> that would have taken literally months to survey in traditional means. I mean – Months And even if you had surveyed it with manned aircraft, your resolution of data would have been smaller, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, 
less accurate, sorry, not smaller, bigger. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so what you got was you got a drone-based system that gave you very, very fine uh, granular data and delivered it literally like I think our first uh, product delivery out of that was six weeks. It took us a week to survey to literally collect the data. It took us only a week. That would have taken it would have easily taken just to get the data collection from a traditional surveyor at least six weeks, at least. Wow. All right. Oh, so you so it's an order of process. yeah. You're you're just chopping costs out, right? You're just really mm-hmm. trying to like, how do I accelerate things? How do I reduce costs? How do I automate? We have to be relentless about this, and this is one of the things that we are so excited about at drone base you know we feel like we've got a great platform and this platform will scale with industry i know that you know i worked in the industry so i i know exactly how we need to build this thing and simplicity automation machine learning all these tools go together um you know single source make it easy make it scalable make sure you're delivering what the client needs and wants in a timely fashion So, so Mark, where can everyone find more about what you guys are doing over there? Well, you can go to our website, uh, dronebase.com. Uh, we have breakouts for each of the verticals that we serve. Um, we serve three verticals, really, and then one kind of um, – um, we call it a vertical, but it's really kind of a horizontal. Um, wind, solar, properties, and then uh, what we call architecture, engineering, and construction, AEC – or EPC in the industrial world, uh, engineering procurement construction. Um, you can learn about all of our, our um, services there. Um, don't If you have projects you want to work on, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us through the website. Uh, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, we're pretty active and becoming more active on social media these days. Um, you know, I think, uh, drone base has been kind of the sleeper in the space, uh, for a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty exciting to be here at this point in time because, uh, you know, our push into renewables and properties in general, um, has really accelerated in the last year and a half. And, um, I, I have been very excited to be part of that process. Um, you know, drone base acquired, uh, our company, my company, in December of last year. And uh, it's been just a lot of fun to get into the mix, you know, um, at scale, because that's really what this is about. It's like, how do we solve this problem? You know, how do we really help um, accelerate everything? So go to our website, www.dronebase.com. Mark, thank you for joining us. And um, I'm sure we're going to be talking more as more and more green energy rolls out. Yeah, I hope so, Brian. And again, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to chatting again soon. At a pro baseball game, when a hometown hero hits a grand slam, a lucky fan ends up with an autographed bat. Why not celebrate that same passion in electronics? Technitool is giving away a top-of-the-line Metcal GT120 soldering station signed by Mythbusters alum Tori Belacci. Unlike autographed sports gear, you won't want to leave it in a display case. Check out Tori's GT120 unboxing video. Go to 
technitool.com slash metcal giveaway and enter for a chance to win. We'll also drop the link where you're watching this or listening to this below.